Why does group protection receive so little attention? Whilst individual protection struggles to achieve growth and seems locked into a pointless price war and complexity race, group protection looks to be gathering momentum. Simpler products and processes show group providers are listening to customer feedback and embracing digital technology, but the spotlight still shines on individual. My guest today is keen to change all that. He's already appeared on the Empath podcast talking about auto-enrolment for group income protection. Today, he tells us about the opportunities available in group life cover. Hear Paul talk about his determination to grow group protection, the research he's carried out, and the simplicity he's championed for Canada Life's product development. Listen to his ideas on how to grow group life sales and take advantage of the auto-enrolment land grab. That's all right here in episode 45 of the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast. Welcome. You're listening to the podcast for providers and advisors looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of protection and finance. you can find the show notes and links to things we talked about at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash mpas so let's get on with the show and here's your host roger edwards Welcome to the Empath Podcast, and this week it's a first for the show. It's the first time I'm welcoming back a previous guest for a second visit, so I'm delighted to reintroduce you to Paul Avis. Paul is Marketing Director at Canada Life Group Insurance, and before that he had marketing roles at Legal & General, Unum and Aviva. A keen sportsman, Paul notes his interests as Bath Rugby, Somerset Cricket, Swindon Town Football, Diving and Skiing. He also loves the Caribbean island of St. Lucia and is about to obtain dual citizenship of the Caribbean by marriage. So, Paul, welcome back to the Empath Podcast. Thanks, Roger. I must have done really well last time to pass my audition. Delighted once again to be uh, representing Group Insurance and I'm excited that we're beginning to be recognised as an important source of protection. So I think other group risk speakers are appearing on the podcast. I may not be the most extrovert or have too many light bulb moments, so I'm just glad to be back. But I do so to represent an industry that now covers 11.2 million people and has grown by 1.25 million people since 2010. So we must be doing something right. Yeah, it's great to have you back, Paul. And the feedback I've had on the podcast that you did last time about um, auto-enrolment for group income protection, and also recently I've had uh, John Ritchie from Ellipse on the podcast talking about similar subjects, a lot of interest in this area because I think people are, are, are looking at the group protection market perhaps for the first time and thinking, you know, they're doing really quite interesting things, whilst the individual protection market seems to be stuck in a bit of a rut. But before we get into our main discussion today, which is going to be about group life insurance, let's have a bit of an update from you, Paul, about what we talked about last time, auto-enrolment for group income protection. Where's that got to? Well, thank you again for that coverage, because since that podcast, a massive amount of things have happened. The ambition of putting this topic on the agenda was to highlight the fact that whilst premiums and employees were growing in the group risk market, and income protection specifically, we only had 17,193 employers purchasing it. 
Now, if you think about it, that's less than one and a quarter percent of potential employer customers that has this benefit. And I would term group income protection as the most important benefit that anyone should have. And yet so few employers have it and very few individuals are also buying it. So this woeful penetration, I'm going to use that term quite a lot in terms of market penetration, was designed to throw the gauntlet down to the industry and start a genuine debate about how to grow the market. Some great work was done um, late last year by the ABI on their welfare reform and the role of income protection paper, and that highlighted um, a 36 billion state bill for uh, disability, and of course that's focused many minds on the wider environment. GRID has also issued a survey in 2015 and has held a members debate and so both of our trade bodies are really focused on how we get the interaction between state benefits and the workplace defined. The issue is how long will this definition take because we are at the initial stages of a new parliament and I would expect this to be an ongoing area of work for any political party. Um, we shouldn't. Um, Roger underestimate the challenge we face. The individual protection markets had another tough year. Group sales of IP on the face of it look good with an additional 40,000 covered and 36 million of premiums. But you need to go below the surface to understand what's really going on. Premium growth can be attributed to uh, continuing sustained low interest rates and increasing morbidity or instance of claim, especially in larger organisations, and we continue to have an ageing workforce, albeit that that demographic is changing. Additional people being covered are no doubt due to the expansion of existing GIP schemes to non-insured members as part of automatic enrolment implementations. So it's not been as successful group income protection as it was with group life, but it's still positive. Then, of course, you, you think about the Swiss Re survey of uh, April, and we have had a further 0.4% reduction in employer numbers. We now only have 17,119 employers, that's 74 less than in 2013. And that, again, is the single biggest challenge we face, increasing the number of new employers that we have buying income protection. So just going back on the AE for JIP discussions that we had last year, there's been a good JIP employee and premium growth through AE pension implementation, but no new employers. The opportunity now is 1.1 million sub-50 employee organisations are about to go through AE pensions implementation, but there is an issue with income protection and critical illness. Neither real-time information or traumatic enrolment data has occupations on it, and one of the key determinants of the price of income protection and critical illness is to have occupations. Mm -hmm. So to move the market forward, um, we're representing GRID on the um, Chartered Institute of Payroll Professionals, catchily named Interoperability Group, to agree common data sets with a clear aim of gaining occupations on every single set of data that exists. We're also going to be requesting work postcode for concentration of risk purposes. So just to bring it all together, there are still some challenges out there to, uh, about how to grow the group income protection market but I think what we've done is focus the industry on a clear debate and as we move to the next parliament and the welfare cuts begin to um, be realised rather than just be talked about this may reignite the whole debate about how do we actually manage long-term disability in the UK. And as I said, quite a lot of people were very supportive of uh, your views on the last podcast which we did last year did you find that there was anybody coming back to you with a with an alternative view or was anybody saying, no, Paul, you've actually got this wrong. I don't think that uh, auto-enrolment for group income protection is the way forward. There was a whole raft of um, commentary following uh, the various um, news feeds, roundtables and so forth we did. But what we achieved through that 
in effect throwing down the gauntlet was to force the debate and there are alternatives out there some people are, t are talking about tax breaks uh, national insurance re reductions and also promotion of health and well-being agenda up, up the corporate uh, wish list so in terms of how that debate started it was really to say is 17,200 employers an adequate result 1.25 of potential buyers buying it massively underpenetrated how do we do it rather than should we do it and that that's a massive step forward thanks paul that's a good update on on, on group income protection and i think today we're going to focus on auto enrollment again but this time the nuance is different this time we're going to be talking about group life so what's all that about paul so every year, the two most important surveys of group risk um, come out in April and June. Uh, as I mentioned, the Swiss Re Group Watch shows how the group risk market is doing and how we as an insurer are performing against our competition. The second survey is ORC's International Syndicated Group Risk Advisor Research, which shows how we've got there. So um, those two surveys are very uh, current and important to understand not only the market, but how we're performing as an insurer. The new news last year was that um, Canada Life uh, became the largest insurer by premiums, employees and employers, and of course premiums for the first time. And the great news was in the April 2015 version, we not only retained our number one spot on all those three indices, but also increased the gap between us and the rest of the pack. To show the importance of this survey, having gained the number one position, we've completely repositioned our mindset. Previously, we were a follower to the market leader. So we've now, in the last 12 months, been acting hard as the market leader without any arrogance or complacency to grow that market rather than to gain market share within the current market. So in the last 12 months, we've refocused our efforts and resourced up to address market challenges, not market share ones. So these challenges, as identified earlier, are really clear. It's about the number of new employers buying this benefit, not employee or premium growth. Almost every employee and premium dimension on every product is positive from the Swiss Re result. And they, the, this survey shows an increase in premiums. So the market is now 1.95 billion, up from 1.81 billion in 2013. And the number of lives has risen by a further 1.9% uh, after uh, a 2013 2.2% rise. So we now have 11.2 million people covered through group risk benefits. Looking at group life only, 8.5 million are protected through insured group life arrangements, and this has been another excellent year for premium growth. An 8.9% increase in 2014, following a 9.8% increase in 2013, means that the market is now worth in excess of 1.25 billion of premiums for insured group life benefits. As I said, much of this growth is linked to existing scheme expansion as companies go through automatic enrolment and cover the new members. We, for example, have uh, grown our uh, top line by in excess of 10 million annual premiums due to automatic enrolment activity. We focus on group income protection quickly as part of the Swiss Re summary. And 2013, a 2 million employee barrier was broken. And in 2014, it went to a further income protection went to a further 40,000 employees with an additional 36 million premiums. Critical illness continues to be a star in terms of growth with more than 92,000 additional employees covered in 2014. And the total premiums for this are now over 72 million. So around about 475,000 people are covered by group critical illness. So we've seen growth in critical illness. We've seen growth in income protection and life insurance. Is there anything wrong with the group market in your opinion, Paul? 
Well, as an insurer, there are no complaints or concerns about the increase in premiums or employees covered, and we're really grateful to advisors for supporting this growth, specifically on the back of automatic enrolment expansions. But there is one area that continues to disappoint us and which we believe needs to be addressed. How many employers or single customers have group risk? And in effect, if you just take the metric of premiums and employees, we could be fooling ourselves that we're doing well. For example, focusing back on group life, there were an additional 1,226 group life schemes in the market in 2014, but 1,074 of these were accepted policies, which may just be top-ups in addition to the benefits covered by register scheme. Register schemes grew by 510 new to market, so there is positive growth there. But then you begin to delve further and you see that the death in service pension schemes reduced by 358, leaving only 3,294 schemes. So for the first time ever, there are now more accepted policies than death in service pensions. And this is a concern because accepted never should be used as a default option. But of course, there are situations where it can be provided with the right taxation legal advice. Death in service, though, to, to fall so greatly is, is clearly a worry. And the reason for that is interest rates and long, uh, improved longevity for survivors has increased the cost. Um, Swiss Re has shown that the total premiums have risen by 30% since 2010, but total insured benefits have fallen by 20%. So the questions being driven by employers is whether the benefits valued by the recipient as it's taxed as income, whereas a lump sum under a lifetime allowance isn't. People are living longer and in an era of uh, ongoing low interest rates, these dynamics are driving up costs. So is there a cost benefit? And the result of this is short-term financial constraints for undermining death and service pensions. So the challenge we got is how do we really quantify the success by the number of employers buying this benefit? And if we look at the number of registered lump sum schemes, because death in service and accepted tend to be aligned with those, we find that only 41,323 employers have bought this. So we are penetrating, in effect, less than 4% of the potential market of 1.3 million limited companies. And, and I keep going back to this word woeful. If we're 96% underpenetrated, that doesn't seem like a great result. Now, some may argue that the 1.3 million limited companies includes holding investment shell companies that may not have employees. So, appreciate that that's true, but even if we took 100,000 employers off that 1.3 million, our penetration is still not acceptable. So, that's why I said it's important for us as a market leader to focus on the growth through new-to-market group risk employers, and we believe there's a significant opportunity to do so with AE pensions for the sub-50 employee organisations. This starts in June, bringing 1.1 million new-to-benefits potential customers, and we need to maximise compulsory AE implementation discussions to promote group risk. If we don't start to do this, when will we ever have such an opportunity to grow the group uh, risk market again through new-to-market employer customers? So, Paul, when did the penny drop about group life insurance in this respect? Take us right back to the beginning when the idea first surfaced, you know, when the light bulb lit up. Talk us through that story. Well, as I suggested with the, with the 2014 JIT work, in my view, the only re real way we can measure genuine growth is by new employers. And so if you look at the group life market, the question is how many new employers are growing this, uh, uh, are purchasing this product? Premium amounts and the number of employees covered are not the real issues. Both are doing very well. And probably, although it's yet to come out the term watch, probably better than individual uh, death benefits. Yes. So, 
our challenge is to get new to market smaller employers to engage with us so if you were me Roger having worked in an insurance company you probably think well wh what's the starting point what do our customers think so in 2014 we, we began to identify there was a massive deal of work to get this message across we did a couple of pieces of research the first was we did uh, 200 employers uh, for companies employing 150 to 2,000 people and unbelievably despite the size of these organizations around about a fifth or 18 percent knew very little about group group life assurance grid as well came out uh, with the lightspeed uh, November 2014 SME research uh, which covered five to 50 employee companies showed that half of those employers were not aware of these benefits and those that were not aware expected the cost of providing uh, group life to be more than three percent of salary costs so you can see with half of employers of this size not aware of group risk benefits and holding an incorrect view about how group life would be we, we simply look to find a way to educate them and then of course the light bulb moment was when it hit us um, we've been commenting on the a pension group risk opportunity since 2011 and it made our terms of scheme expansion for the existing market so easy we'd experienced that great level of premium and employee growth we hadn't at that point applied the same thought process to the new to pension market except of course for me writing at the industry and trade press PR thought leadership level so when we, when we hit the new news in April 2014 that we were market lead by premiums, we now needed to figure out how to extend the same thought process to the AESME pension discussion, i.e. grow the market rather than gain more market share. So I went to my target audience and we're a fully intermediated insurer and we conducted a research program in the summer of 2014 covering 100 telephone interviews, 20 in-depth interviews with larger advisors. Uh, the smaller advisors had the telephone uh, discussions and the findings astonished and encouraged us that we were on the right track. 95% of the small advisors surveyed said that they considered their AE start and half of these would seek to proactively sell group risk alongside pension AE discussions, so that was really good. 10% of advisors were actively seeking accountancy leads and partnerships and 6% were considering running seminars. The larger advisors had a different set of dynamics, um, obviously being hit by post-RDR commissions removal and the DWB uh, pension charge capping. They were seeing the AE opportunities, a, a three-year fee and client attainment window. Um, they're thinking post-2018, how is our business model going to look? And they were thinking about group risk, private medical or cash plans, financial education for workplace, uh, getting funds under management, high net worth, personal financial planning, complex pension planning, etc., etc. So already the larger advisors are saying, how do we place revenue from what we've lost through the pensions world? So then we think about the employer. So the advisors were all pretty much behind this opportunity. and We're all talking about the AE opportunity from a pensions perspective. What about the employer? So we, we did consider the promotion of group income protection, but it was not only did we not have the data um, because we didn't have the occupations, but also it seemed by employers as too complex uh, a concept to get over. You've got to remember that the employer at this point is probably going to be having had a, an hour-long pension discussion about AE and suddenly realize the amount of work they've got to do. Yeah. So throwing in group income protection at that point would, would probably knacker them out even more. <laughs> Um, exactly the same with group critical illness. It's, uh, the, the products are seen as complex, and of course, it's also P11D. So we, we just thought, hold on a second, income protection and critical illness, we don't have the data. The client's going to be knackered after an hour-long pension discussion. What would work? And we thought, group life. It's simple, quickest entry, and some would say lots of employees have it, so it's a benchmark benefit. Why don't we do that? 
So just to bring this right up to date, we undertook in late April some really interesting work with our research company with employers. And we held two focus groups. The first group was micro employers with, with uh, less than 10 employees. And the second group was larger, 10 to 50 employees. Both were really good representative samples of this AE sub-50 profile of organization. And the headline was, to ask the, research, uh, the question of the researchers, you do these focus all the time, focus groups all the time. And so if one was a don't do it and 10 was definitely do it, how would we rate with this idea of post-AE pension discussion simple, easily understood group life. And they, they came back to me and said, easily a nine. And th then they gave me this amazing soundbite, which I really showed we were on the right track. They said, we've never been in a focus group where 80% of the first group would have bought group life and 100% of the second group. The second group asked if group life was available now and if they could sign up there and then, despite the research company only have a basic knowledge of group life, when they explained it, Everyone seemed to want it, and the research company themselves have said there are only 10 uh, employees. They could be our first customer. So all this work since summer 2014 coming to fruition in June 2015 has encouraged us that whilst you're not at the end of the real AE pension discussion and the advisor hasn't asked for a fee to implement the AE pension, everyone seems to say, well, if I'm doing benefits, why not offer the simple group life product? Interesting, isn't it, that uh, even in the group market, simple life insurance is the one that resonates quicker than the more complicated income protection and the even more complicated critical illness. I think it, it sends a message to the entire industry, both group and individual, that perhaps things have become too complicated across the board. And, and a lot of that complexity is driven by a, a need to compete on complexity. And I think consumers are crying out for simplicity and and this research that you've just done shows that people want simplicity and if they get simplicity they're much more likely to be convinced to sign up to it but there are other challenges of course and challenges make us stronger in business but what's the solution you would recommend surely employers who are having to fund auto enroll pensions for the first time are going to react really badly to a suggestion of yet another levy on top of that that's a great point and one that we, we addressed during our research. So acknowledging this concern, we began to probe what was needed to encourage the SME to consider anything other than pension. So as part of our research, we became very clear on how to maximize this and we came up with four critical success factors. The first was cost. Improved understanding of the cost of group life is needed as the 3% perception shown in the grid research showed that this is a key challenge. So we identified um, simple cost options, identified a percentage of salary roll to align with the pension discussion and with a plan that would open the way for a meaningful discussion. Something along the lines of, okay, so you have to pay 1%, moving to 3% of salary for the pension, but would you like to provide, say, £25,000 of death benefits to just a further 0.1% of salary costs? Or you can provide two times salary for 0.4%. That's the kind of discussion that's needed. Align that with the tax efficiency and premium breakdowns per capita pre- and post-tax shows just how affordable group life is. So cost was a key area. You mentioned simplicity, and that was the second area we denoted. Um, this is needed for client understanding and engagement because it needs to be immediate. We wanted to demystify the trust establishment work needed to gain the best tax advantages for scheme members. So in March 2015, we launched our master trust to alleviate this issue. And already, as we hit June, we've done around about 150 new group life schemes showing how 
The simplicity of a master trust enables organizations to get the best tax advantages with very low administration. The third area was reward um, for the advisor, but it's a challenge because a lot of advisors think that the historical 4 or 10% annual commissions aren't remunerative or enough to run a group life scheme. We actually will offer up to a 30% commission pay for every year the contract is in force, but we're, we're also aware that many advisors aren't aware of this. So as part of our reconfiguration of our, our systems, we, we've made advisors aware that the, the benefit retention for, say, three years provides up to a 30% commission for every year that that benefit is in place. And, and that suddenly makes this a good area of business to be considering as part of that post-RDR and DWP charge capping uh, remuneration replacement. We also found that administration was thought to be a, a clear barrier to group risk growth. Now, we've got our class system, which holds around about 7%. It will probably be 8% with the year we're having of all group risk schemes on it and provides the simplest, quickest way to undertake SME business profitably. Class is great for existing schemes and more complex schemes designs, and therefore takes about 15 minutes to do a quote. So we challenged ourselves, could we do the quote and on-risk process in under five minutes, and we've achieved this. So we're also working on a, a simple, not necessarily advisor-based renewal process by the employer or their agent. So, so bringing all that together from the 1st of June, we've launched something called Simply Class for Group Life Assurance, which means that every organization should have the opportunity to be offered a group life scheme during the pension AE implementation discussions. Simplicity again, Paul, and simply class, like the name of that. So we've got a good workable model and it's customizable, but how will advisors start to talk to employers? How are they going to get in there? You've got 1.1 million new to benefits discussions. So the employers are going to be approaching benefits afresh, possibly for the one and only time, uh-huh. possibly through accountants, but it doesn't matter where they go as there is so much to go for and group life could be the unique selling point that sets an advisor apart from other pension A implementations. Mm-hmm. So simply put, there's a tidal wave of opportunity. That is exactly what I saw when I looked at the AE staging dents as we enter the period where sub-50 employee companies reach AE pensions implementation. It's massive prolonged opportunity with new to benefits discussions of 1.1 million potential customers. Few of these have group life. As I mentioned earlier, we've only got uh, just over 41,000 group life schemes, so there'll be larger employers in the main. So most SMEs will never have seen a group life quote. Less than 4% of all UK employers have said that already will have this benefit. So you're talking a completely untapped virgin market to develop into different benefits than purely the pension. So who's coming in to the benefits world? Um, We've got 72,500 restaurants. um, So when you're eating out, give them a flyer. 48,000 computer companies, 45,000 management consultants, 34,000 architectural and engineering companies. So some big, big segments in there. And of course, the latter three, the uh, computer companies, management consultants and, and architects and engineers, the latter three is in terms of the white-collar professionals. So having group life for them as attraction retention becomes more important it is something definitely worth discussing. Just at, at a different level, and interestingly, there, there's 5,000 TV and filmmakers, 150 logging companies, 670 meat processors, 370 dairy manufacturers, and 1,383 watchmakers. So there are smaller segments where if advisors have got 
existing relationships through affinity groups, there's a real opportunity to broaden that agenda away from pension A implementation into group life. That is great segmentation, isn't it? The opportunities there are phenomenal. And I'm just uh, listening to you talking, you know, 72,000 restaurants, you're thinking, oh, wow, that's a that's a coordinated marketing campaign. And then you've got your TV filmmakers and your management consultants, slightly different messages. But if you've got a simple product, you can tailor those messages perfectly to the uh, the audience. Yeah, 100% agree. And and we're producing um, an employer communications plan, including what I term as the chip shop flyer. It's the lead behind when you go down and buy your chips on a Friday. And you say, when you're doing your pension A, come and talk to me because I've got this special deal with Canada Life to offer much more than just the pension at massively inexpensive rates, something along that line. The chip shop flyer. I've got the headline for the uh, graphic that's going to go with this podcast. <laughs> Off the record, I did ask for us to do an advertising campaign called Cheapest Chips. <laughs> but our compliance colleagues said no, because even at £15, people may not eat £15 or 10 bags of chips a year. Oh, for goodness sake. So I'm going with the easiest pie option. <laughs> Wait till you see it. If you're interested, I'll send some of this stuff over. It's quite funny. Easy as pie and peas. You've got it. You've got it. The segments definitely are, but exist and they are there. But cynics will argue that these employers can't afford pensions, let alone anything else. But there are definitely companies like that. But grids show that only 9% of small employers are not interested in benefits at all. And if you go back to my focus group to get, in effect, 80, 90% of the people in the room saying, I would actually buy this because there's something in it for me, shows you this market exists. And we're not we're not being overly ambitious. A simple 1% scheme hit rate, the 1.1 million employers, increases the group life market by 25%. So surely this should be achievable as an industry. But the biggest hurdle is definitely cost in their minds and education, but addressing the indirect barriers the employer faces are also important. And one of the things we don't do very well is talk about the free cover level that we have in a group scheme. These are a traditional market feature, but has the message reached the small employer that this means no medical forms, hassle or loadings? And this is an incredible message to employer. And of course, the insurers assume that everyone is 100% healthy if they're there on the day the scheme starts. And of course, Aligned with the taxation savings of a personal non-inheritance tax benefit through the master trust and the ease of registration, you begin to give a very personal story to the sale to the business owner. You've still got a challenge, you still got to find the clients, but the pension regulator is already tracking how employers are approaching automatic enrollment and the figures show that 60% will look for external advice and 34% of those will want to go to a financial advisor. If you've got accountancy relationships, this again, having something other than the pension AE to offer the accountant when they uh, offer their services to the employer gives you a unique selling point. The pension regulators have written to about 1.5 million employers to remind them of their duties for staging dates. So some are definitely going to be looking for advice long before that, that, that happens, that staging date. So the opportunity to act and to act now is definitely happening from the 1st of June. This is this is great stuff, Paul, and it's so refreshing to talk about a genuine marketing opportunity. So we've already looked at this from a segmentation point of view, and that's quite exciting because of all the different messages you could put together. And it's so often the case in the financial services industry, and particularly in the individual protection market, where it's all about just hanging on to your market share by digging your nails in and just doing the same sort of thing. So constantly cutting rates, which doesn't have any effect, constantly 
constantly making the products more complicated by adding illnesses which doesn't really have much of an effect and what you're doing here is riding on the back of pensions auto enrollment and saying look at all these different groups of customers i.e all the different types of businesses out there from restaurants to tv producers to management consultants all of whom we need to tailor make the message for with a simple product and again i come back to this idea of simplicity being just so important i'm really really quite excited by what you've been saying today paul and what would be the one big idea that you'd like to leave the listeners of the empath podcast with to take away from your experiences and your ideas around this well i would say just do it and do it now or you're going to miss the boat um, many of the smarter advisors already w- reworking their uh, revenue and earnings models in the wake of recent pension changes. Group risk can play a pivotal role because pension discussions are in fact the new land grab to get corporate clients on board. So the opportunity to differentiate the advisor offering is, in our view, a clear one to educate and inform by simply extending the AE pension discussion. Bear in mind the volume of businesses and the segments in which they operate. We believe that a simple transactional fixed benefit group life scheme will work. And it's, in effect, a wave of opportunity to grow the group life market. And I suppose the the message I would say is let's be brave and set ourselves a target. Let's grow it to a massive 5% of all employers uh, achieving uh, group life coverage through this initiative. And that still leaves 95% of employers that won't have it. But if we look positively and we look at the time in this AEE pension implementation cycle and create a clear strategy for partnership and growth, with strong segmented employer marketing, then a simple let's have the discussion not only about your pension but about group life can happen at the same time as a pension AE implementation. And, and that is the opportunity to do it now or miss the boat. Paul, it's been fascinating to catch up with you. It's been fascinating to listen to how your thoughts have developed not only on group income protection but into the important area of group life insurance and again we know that the UK population is vastly underinsured so individual protection plus grouping protection if we can focus on growing the market then hopefully we'll all be successful and you've been on the podcast before I'd like to still go through the very quick fire business questions to finish off is that all right with you yes that'd be great okay so for the second time if there was one thing you could change about the financial services industry perhaps by waving the proverbial magic wand what would it be ever more focus on group risk and giving us our industry the credit for the work that we're doing in the protection world I confess Roger I get frustrated 2014 was another year of increase and still we get less coverage than individual protection despite being massive and despite covering 11.2 million people I also do not get why I get frustrated by why group risk is not many advisors preferred growth strategy on the back of RDR and pension charge capping because there's a clear reduction in their remuneration from pension scheme income how are they looking to replace that and group risk has to be a great opportunity for them to do so what's the one business model or a product or a campaign that's caught your attention in the last year even if it was from a competitor tell us what it was and what you liked about it last time i said it was the meerkat um, and it still is it's fresh and evolved further and now has arnie in it which is really strange i mean what is going on with hollywood we, we see stallone selling bread Um, who's going to be the next A-list celebrity appearing on British TV. (laughs) Tell us about an app or a gadget that's made a huge difference to your life and or your business. iPads are brilliant. I've moved from an iTouch to an iPhone and now an iPad and I'm never using my laptop again except for work. And finally, Paul, anything else you'd like to add? 
I started in the industry in 1987 in the days of Loutro Fembra. God, after the removal of life assurance premium relief and so I've come full circle because of that stage I was working with um, General Axton as a life insurance inspector so life cover and guess what that's exactly what I'm doing now I'm a life insurance salesperson I'm proud of it I've got a challenge though Roger I still struggle to make death interesting and exciting so in almost 30 years of being in this industry I'm open to anyone's ideas every time I come up with something because I'm being told I'm being tasteless by talking about death to give you a clue um, i, I commissioned some um, interesting adverts and I found one with a body bag with a foot tag entitled Simply Dead <laughs> and even mentioning a tsunami of opportunity both those ideas have been shot down by colleagues as being too over the top so as an industry if we are going to do anything other than protect our mortgages we need to be brave think differently catch the eye of the employer and consumer with a punch somehow otherwise we'll still be bemoaning the death benefit protection gap there's some great work out there to talk about the need for death benefits but i think we need to be braver about how this benefit can dramatically impact someone when they have a, a significant change in their life circumstances I do agree with you. I think we do need to see how we can push the limit just a little bit so that we start to resonate with our customers. Paul, it's fascinating to talk to you. Before we sign off, just remind everyone how they can connect with you on Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever it is, and of course your website. Okay, so my telephone number is 01179164022. Um, I'm busy launching Simply Class, so uh, the best thing to do is email at paul.avis at canadalife.co.uk and uh, just as a, a PS to that uh, anyone who wants to really know all about employee health and well-being should be looking at our Twitter feed it's Canada Life GRP UK because all of the automatic enrolment and group life stuff we're up to including a load of infographics is on there throughout June and July Paul, thanks so much for coming on the podcast for a second time. Always great to talk to you, always inspiring, always great to listen to your marketing ideas and your absolute enthusiasm for growing the group protection market. Let me wish you every success for the future and let's definitely catch up for another beer on a sunny day down in London in the near future. Or a third podcast, Mr. Edwards. Or a third podcast. There it is. A date will be set. Thank you very much. listening to the marketing protection and finance podcast do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash mpaf for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed if you enjoyed the show please leave a review on itunes simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash itunes and leave a review if you are a provider or advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model you'd like to talk about, please get in touch. You could be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's all just thoughts and opinions, okay? Okay.